don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm going to. The, uh, the RUF ministry at University of Arizona is a huge part of the heart and mission of our church. And uh, we, were, we meet close to the university so we can be of an encouragement and support to them. And uh, the church gives money to our UF ministry uh, as generously as we can. And I doubt that Dan and Brittany or Rebecca and Noah are, are uh, asking you all to help support that ministry. But it's the beginning of New Year. It's time when they reevaluate their finances, I know. So just ask them how they're doing if you might be able to help uh, support that ministry for the coming year. And I won't say anymore. Sorry, Dan, if I wasn't supposed to say that. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. So if you want to turn to your Bible or just follow along the bulletin, uh, the text is printed there. I've read a lot of commentaries and uh, heard a lot of sermons about this text. And what I've been able to deduce um, with reference to the original Hebrew and things is uh, that we're all going to die. <laughs> it's uh, fairly clear here. And it sounds like the kind of thing, if you've been here for the whole Ecclesiastes series, that you would expect Kohelet, Solomon, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, to say. Because he kind of majors in the minor key, I think you could say fairly. It's a pretty dark book. Some of us have been here all you know, humid summers slugging through this thing. Some of you are just traipsing back in now for the happy sermon from Ecclesiastes. But um, Solomon talks about life and sort of its grim reality. Um, and here he talks about the problem that we're all going to face death. But what's surprising about uh, this passage is what he says we should do in light of that, which turns out to be pretty happy. So... Let me pray for us, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask, um, as we usually do, that you would come and meet with us. Um, we don't want to just learn about you. We want to know you. And we pray that you would come and open our hearts and minds to you and speak to us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it's love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. But it's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that's done under the sun, that the same event happens to all, which means death. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they'll die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy have all perished. And forever they have no more share in all that's done under the sun. So go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. 
And whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. And again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. And this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> it's not like a lot of the rest of the word of the Lord. You know, it's <laughs> death, though. It's not our favorite subject. We have a service every year uh, on Ash Wednesday at the beginning of Lent where I put ashes on everybody's forehead and tell them they're going to die. You know, I say, you know, dust you are and to dust you shall return. And even the little children, I put ashes on their heads and that feels grim. And it is grim because we're thinking about death hard on that day and most days we don't think very hard about death. You know, usually we try to think about almost anything else or we live in some kind of denial of death. Like the husband who told his wife, you know, sweetie, when one of us dies, I think I'm going to move to Florida. And uh, so, that was funnier than you paid attention to there. The, uh, and uh, churches used to have graveyards outside of them. You know the difference between a cemetery and a graveyard? This is, this is free, a free extra. A graveyard is a church, and uh, a cemetery is not. Um, but the idea of the graveyard at church was to help us preach so that when people were walking into church, they get their minds right. You know, looking at the tombstones and things. Um, we don't get that much anymore. Um, but for Christians, we can think about death and stare it in the face more easily than most people because of the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Death is a defeated enemy. It's an enemy still for us, but it's defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. We're promised, like in our New Testament reading, that as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will also raise us uh, like Him from the dead. And so we can face death. We can mock death, which is something that the Christian church does. Uh, we do it on Easter especially. But we worship on Sunday because it's Resurrection Day. And there is always a taunt in our voice toward death when we come to worship the risen Jesus Christ. So, And the other thing that we can do, because of the hope we have is that we can actually live with a little bit of happiness even though we know we're going to die. Even though we're faced with the specter of death over our lives, um, we don't have to be crushed by that or put into despair by that. As a matter of fact, Solomon, after he lays this out in fairly grim terms, has as his suggestion to us in light of impending death that faces us all that we should enjoy ourselves which is not exactly what I expected him to say. But enjoy yourself. See, this is a nice, happy Ecclesiastes sermon. It's about enjoying yourself. Now, we haven't gotten much of this lately. And if you're going through, if you're going through a, a very hard time right now, um, as you will in this broken world, um, I don't mean for this to be glib in saying that your sufferings shouldn't matter or that you should float above them somehow. Uh, but I am saying that even in the midst of this broken world, Jesus offers us a way and a command 
to enjoy him and enjoy the world that he's made, uh, even while we're here. So let's look at that. First point is, enjoy yourself, tomorrow you may die. Enjoy yourself, tomorrow you may die. Isn't it strange how vague he is about life after death? Did you notice that? He's like, I don't know what happens. <laughs> like, almost like, you know, he's exaggerating, like he's been drinking or something, and is just sort of overshading for emphasis. But like, even as much as we know, we know more than Solomon knew about life after death as Christians, just because we live after the resurrection. But he knew enough to say more than this. But still, we don't know that much. There's so much unknown about death and time after death and things that it creates the same kind of pressure and vexation on us to know we're going to die that it does on someone who um, doesn't have much faith. So he's vague about what happens after, after death, but he's very certain about death, that that's clearly going to happen. The same event happens to us all, and he finds that galling. You know, it's, it doesn't matter if you're righteous or wicked, good or evil, clean or unclean, whether you sacrifice or not, whether you swear or don't take oaths. He says the same thing happens to everybody. It seems capricious. Time and chance happen to all of us. Um, It's an evil, he says in verse 3. It's an evil in all that's done under the sun that the same event happens to all. One, because it doesn't really seem fair, but also just because um, it's not supposed to be this way. Death is an enemy. Death is an intruder in God's good world. Um, It's a result of our rebellion. We dragged death into the world. Um, it wasn't, the world wasn't always this way. And it's not meant to be this way. It's the last enemy that Jesus is defeating, it said in our New Testament reading. Right? It's, not, it's an evil. And, uh, and it just seems to make our lives meaningless, all our loves and hates, even our envies, he says in verse 6, perish when you die. Uh, these things don't follow you into the grave. And then you don't know when it's going to happen. Like verse 12, he says, you know, it's like fish taken in an evil net. Death comes unexpectedly. You remember the old, uh, you remember the old version of Pollyanna, the Disney movie? Old people nod like you do with all our references. Young people look at me the way you're looking at me. The, uh, Carl Malden was the minister in Pollyanna. And you remember his sermon from his very elevated pulpit was, Death comes unexpectedly. Right? It was awesome. And uh, until he cheered up. So yeah, death comes unexpectedly. You don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, Reverend Charles, the uh, hilarious internet preacher comic, uh, was talking about this. He said, death comes unexpectedly. It means you don't know when it's going to happen. It can happen any time, except for my Uncle Fred. Uh, he got in the gas chamber. You probably <laughs> saw that coming. <laughs> so, but for the most part, right, death comes unexpectedly to us. So, how do you live knowing that you're going to die? Go skydiving, right? Tim McGraw, anybody? No. Um, you go Rocky Mountain climbing. You go 2.7 seconds on the bull named Fu Manchu, right? You live like you're dying. You make the most of your life knowing that you're going to die. And usually when I quote a country song in a sermon, it's by contrast to what the Bible says. But that's kind of what Solomon says, isn't it? He says... Uh, he says, since you're going to die, and since it's so vexing, enjoy your life a little bit. Which is not the answer you might expect. Go eat your bread with joy. Verse 7, drink your wine with a merry heart. 8, let your garments be white. Clean up. Dress up. Don't let oil be lacking on your head. Um, enjoy your wife. 
with whom you love all the days of your vain life. <laughs> no, did anybody embroider that for you when you got married? Like that verse? <laughs> Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Yeah. But enjoy it. If you have somebody to enjoy like that, or even in your work, he says in verse 10, try to find a way to enjoy your work and go at it wholeheartedly uh, since you're going to die and do this all the days of your vain life. Not ignoring death. It's not the counsel of despair where he says since you're going to die and that's terrible news, don't think about it. Just try to uh, distract yourself with escapist pleasure so you don't have to think about death. That's not what he's saying. That's what you say if you believe that when you're dead, you're dead, and the whole subject of death makes you feel despairing. He's saying, no, look death square in the face and enjoy your life knowing that it's short. Right? Because his basic frame of reference is the Bible's frame of reference, which is that the world that we live in is a good world. It's the good world that God made. It's broken, it's warped by our rebellion, and death is a part of that warping. But fundamentally, the world is still God's world, and it's still good. And the things He's made for people to enjoy, we should enjoy. We should engage in those things with thankfulness. Sometimes I think we, we get this wrong a little bit. I think in our church we get this wrong a little because our, the first thing we say about the world is not that it's broken and the first thing we say about human beings is not that they're sinful um, but what it ought what, the first thing we ought to say about the world is that it's good, that it's God's good creation and the first thing we ought to say about other people is they are beautiful creatures made in the image of God and the second thing we say is the world is broken and people are sinful when we ask people their vows when they join the church we start by saying do you confess that you are a sinner in the sight of God and true as that is, I sort of feel like we need a preliminary question to that. Do you believe that you're made in the image of God and that He loves you? You know, Because our first response to God's world is affirmation. Then we lament its brokenness and push back against that. But that's what Solomon's saying. You can live with some happiness because God's world is a good world and He built it for us to enjoy. And that's not unspiritual. Food and wine and friends and love and work are things He's given us. Made us for, right? So we can enjoy those things. Now, knowing you're going to die also makes you sober about some things. Like you need to make a will and buy some insurance because you know you're going to die and you can face those things even if it creeps you out a little bit. And, you know, you need to reconcile with people uh, while you have a chance to reconcile with people because you know you're going to die and you don't just let uh, open, broken relationships fester. Uh, you definitely do that with God, right? You, uh, you make sure you're right with Him, that you seek reconciliation with Him before you die, knowing that you're going to die and could die any time. You think about your what David Brooks calls your eulogy virtues more than your resume virtues when you're thinking that you're going to die. And all those things are sober, but good things to do as you live like you're dying. But the main thing he says is to enjoy yourself. Like Guy Lombardo's old song. I'm really stretching for this one. You know, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Enjoy yourself while you're still in the pink. The years go by as quickly as a wink. So enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. So enjoy yourself. Tomorrow you may die. But the second point is um, enjoy yourself 
for yesterday you were dead. I've mentioned this uh, felicitous phrase from Russell Moore before. I first learned it on uh, Dana McReynolds' dining room wall uh, where it was written. Um, Enjoy yourself, eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday you were dead, which describes the Christian hope, which is a hope that Solomon didn't yet know about nearly as specifically as we know about it, because we live after the resurrection. All right, this side of the empty tomb, we have a richer hope about the afterlife than Solomon knew how to enjoy when he wrote well before Jesus' life. Um, and what we're told in the New Testament reading today is that Jesus is raised from the dead as the first fruits of the new creation. That is the first fixed thing in God's world is the body of Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead and he's the first exemplar of the fixed world. And what he said is, I've come to set the world back to rights, to bring my kingdom, uh, to set the world back the way it's supposed to be, right side up. And when I'm finished with this work, death will be defeated finally. You will rise as I have risen. And you will live in a fixed world with a fixed body, fixed relationships, fixed brain, uh, fixed relationship with God and your environment, and things will be the way that they're supposed to be. And the resurrection is the beginning of that. It's the first fruits. As Jesus has been raised, so we will be raised as well. And this Christian hope is not that at the last day, uh, the good and bad people will be raised and the good people get to go to the good place and the bad people go to the bad place. Um, the Christian hope is this, that we'll all be raised and the objects of God's mercy, the charity cases, who throw themselves on the hope of Jesus, go to be with Jesus. And people who don't do that or won't do that will be excluded from Him, which is a pretty dark picture. But our hope is not that the goodies get rewarded and the baddies don't because there aren't any goodies, right? We understand from the scripture that all of us uh, deserve to be rejected by God and yet find ourselves accepted by him because of the mercy of Jesus. It says in verse 3 here, um, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. Now, there's no flattery for our morality in the Bible, but there's hope of mercy for anybody that seeks it from Jesus. And that's the Christian hope. Um, at the uh, end of our lives, at the end of history, the last day when Jesus uh, has his judgment day and finally sets the world to right. The Christian hope. But this begins now for us. Uh, that we will be raised, our bodies will be raised, but we already enter a relationship with God that's reconciled, which is so dramatic in, in our lives, the Bible calls it a new birth. It calls it like a whole new life, a whole new beginning into a life with God. And we begin to experience that life now. That's why we say, yesterday we were dead, is because uh, we were cut off from God yesterday, but Jesus has rescued us, and now we're reconnected to Him. And so now we have a new life, and say, enjoy yourself, for yesterday you were dead. So, uh, the Eastern Church has a great uh, hymn that they sing uh, at their Easter celebration, the Paschal Troparium, and it says, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tomb, bestowing life. And you could add, and upon those on their way to the tomb, bestowing life. That Jesus' life gives us life, and a tremendous hope for the future. So, 
How do you live as if you're going to rise? Talk about how to live knowing you're going to die. How do you live knowing that you're going to rise? I'll give you a couple of suggestions. One, as Solomon says, enjoy yourself. (laughs) Even more so, enjoy yourself. Because you know that um, you're not just trying to squeeze whatever little drops of enjoyment and pleasure you can get out of this life, you know, knowing that you're going to die and the clock's ticking. Now when you engage in the enjoyments of this life, they're anticipatory. You're saying, I'm practicing for the new creation. I'm practicing for the time when my joys will be complete and not just partial and imperfect like they are now. Basically, your whole life here is a preseason game. Right? This is not the regular season yet. Our real lives are in the new world. Uh, this is practice for the new world. And so we engage in pleasures knowing that they're partial, knowing that they're never perfect. You can never make the perfect vacation or the perfect dinner party or the perfect wedding or the perfect whatever you're trying to do. It doesn't work that way in this world. But that's okay because it's practice. Right? It's anticipatory. Our real expectation of joy is in the future. We're, um, we're having foretastes now, appetizers now, for what is our true life to come. And uh, that means, for one thing, you don't have to take a picture every day. You know, you can just enjoy the moment. Because we're not making perfect memories here uh, that we can capture and always keep. We're just practicing, right? You don't... You don't record preseason games and keep them in your collection of your team's games, right? That's just preseason. Nothing wrong with pictures at all. I'm just saying that the pressure of the perfect moment being captured uh, doesn't press on us like it might because we believe we will rise, right? So you can enjoy yourself even more so. Secondly, your priorities can be reshaped by knowing that you're going to rise. You can think differently about what's important to you. By asking yourself, how is this going to look to me from the perspective of the new creation? Uh, When I look back on my life from the next world, uh, what's what's going to be the best money I spent in retrospect? Is it going to be your favorite car that you ever bought or your favorite house that you ever lived in? Um, Maybe it will be... Depends on the car you get, I guess, but it could be that. But probably it's going to be money you gave away. I mean, I think that's probably true for most of us. You'll probably be happiest about the money you gave away. You'll think that's the best money you spent in retrospect. Um, and believing that you're going to rise means that you can go ahead and give stuff away because you're not trying to get the perfect collection of everything of accoutrements into your life so that this life can be perfect now. We're just trying things out, testing them, see what we like, what we're good at, practicing for the new creation. So you can be like, you know how old people at some point start giving their stuff away? Um, I know. Because uh, you start looking at your stuff and you start thinking, well, my kids don't want this. Um, they're going to have a garage sale and get rid of this or just probably take it to Goodwill. So I think I'm going to give it to somebody that might want it. You know, I went to a friend's house who's like 87 a couple weeks ago and he had like... 50 putters in a barrel in his den. And he's like, here, take this. Take, take one of these putters. He doesn't want them, and he doesn't know anybody that's going to want them. But you can start living that way as a young person because you believe you're going to rise. You know, you look at your stuff and think, huh, I wonder who might like that. 
or your money. Like, who might need that? And you can live way more open-handedly because you know that this life isn't all there is and that you're just practicing for the next life anyway. And so that's something else you can do, living like you're going to rise. Then you can be patient with a life that isn't perfect and that doesn't go well and, and isn't the hand that you wish you had been dealt. Like, you don't have to have a bucket list if you're a Christian because um, you don't only go around once. Right? We're, we're going to live an exceptionally long time in the new creation. Um, we don't have to do everything now. Right? You can just be where you are and enjoy the place you're in and be present in the moment without always thinking about uh, the, you know, the fear of missing out. What, am, what, what is some place I haven't been that I just feel like I have to go before I die, like the articles say in the clickbait? You don't have to think that way because this life isn't all there is. And your trials, from the perspective of the new creation, the suffering that you endure now, will surely look different to us than it looks to us in the moment now. Um, some of you are old enough to know that even some of your most of your trials happened so long ago in your life that, that the pain of them and the memory of them has already started to dim. I mean, some of you have uh, trials that are going to last your entire life and be poignant your whole life and acute. But even then, you have to think that from the perspective of eternity, it's going to look different to you. And you can sort of uh, live into that now. Embrace that now. And say, you know, I'm, I'm, you may have a trial that makes every day seem incredibly long. Uh, but ultimately, it's not going to seem so long. And the hope of the resurrection gives you toughness and endurance that you wouldn't otherwise have in trials. And then the last thing is that you don't have to be so afraid of death. You don't have to be so afraid of death. It's okay to die. It's okay to die young for a Christian. It really is. It's okay if your kids die young. And I'm, I don't mean that to sound harsh, because I don't know, like, I don't know worse things than that. But, but it's okay. Being safe and living a long time are not Christian priorities and goals, because death has been defeated by Jesus. Thinking about this, I was thinking about. Um, the story, I'm guessing a lot of you are familiar with the story of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and three of their friends who were very young men, Christians. All of them were married and all of them had a baby. But they wanted to go to the Aka Indians and take the hope of the gospel of Jesus to the Aka Indians who had never had much connection at all with the outside world and were reportedly a violent tribe. And so they, they were uh, pilots and they flew over uh, this area to sort of reconnoiter, but also to try to drop some gifts and things to make uh, a connection to grease the skids a little bit for going and meeting these people and to visit them. And uh, finally they decided, you know, it's been time enough that they would go ahead and try and go meet them. So all their wives are pretty nervous about this. They're praying for them. And uh, they go, and very soon after they land, they lose radio contact with the people who are keeping up with them. And some others take a plane and fly over and they see the plane that's landed on the beach has been completely destroyed. And they land and find that all five of them had immediately been killed. And so 
Here you've got five widows, uh, five orphan children. There's a headline in a newspaper that had the five pictures uh, side by side, and the headline was, A Waste of Young Life, question mark. A Waste of Young Life. And uh, at least Jim Elliott, I know, would have said, are you kidding me? This isn't a waste of young life. This is a head start. <laughs> because he's famous for his quote. Right? Some of you have heard this. He's no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Because he had the hope of the resurrection. That's what he believed. And the widows, who are now widows, young widows, with their orphaned children, uh, grieved, and then they went back to the office. Elizabeth Elliot and some others went back to the Aka Indians. And now there are Christian Aka Indians. That there will be Aka Indians around the throne of Jesus in the new creation with Jim Elliot and Nate Saint and their friends. And it's not a waste of young life at all. Because with the hope of the resurrection, we can be frivolous with our lives in this fantastic cause that we're in. And we can freely give our lives and allow our children to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Because this life isn't all there is. Jesus has risen from the dead, and we will rise with him. We can live this way because of the hope of the resurrection. Right? So... That's the sermon. Enjoy yourself because you're going to die. <laughs> Clean up. Put on your good clothes. Eat some good food. Kiss your wife. Uh, drink some great wine. Maybe find a way to enjoy your job. <laughs> because you're going to die. But you can enjoy it. And you're going to rise. Right? You're going to rise. So enjoy yourself. Because he who raised Jesus from the dead will also Raise us. Let's pray. Father, I pray for myself and for my friends here that you would uh, let us believe this and experience uh, some of the joy of being your children in your world. Uh, you know the trials that you uh, have uh, in front of us. You know the pains that we feel living in this fallen world. But we love your beautiful world and we love the lives that you've given us in it and pray that you would let us live thankful, delighted, joyful lives in relationship with you. And we ask in Jesus' name.